0: Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help teens and adults with autism become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. When you get the opportunity to coach people with autism and help them reach their goals, it is a collaborative process. Sometimes you teach them in the process and other times they teach you. One thing I've learned from several of our clients is about something that some refer to as the double rainbow, which is the intersection of autism and the LGBT community. It is so important to support all people with autism, and all too often those that are part of the double rainbow are not getting the support they need. Today we have an important discussion about the double rainbow with Nathan Morgan of Milestones Autism Resources. Nathan is a self-advocate who has shared his experiences on panels at events and the local news. Nathan is passionate about teaching and autism-related research. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Nathan, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, you're currently the Early Intervention and School-Age Coordinator for Milestones Autism Resources. What attracted you to the position and what have you learned from this experience?
1: A bit of a journey that took me there. I started out um, really wanting to work with international populations and then on a whim I decided I have autism. Let's give this a shot. Let's see how this works out. And it was a good fit. I felt really um, positive about the work that I was doing. I I started interning at Milestones Um, and then just through that I I really found that I was good at early intervention, that I um, had an understanding of the, the theory and the framework and it was also something that was exciting. I could get in and I can help change lives um, from a young point and I know um, I feel very uh, reward, it's very rewarding to work in this field. So uh, that's how I actually got into early intervention was, was kind of on a whim. As I've continued to work in the field, um, I'm actually not even sure why I I wanted to, to work in international populations in the first place. I have such a, a strong interest in in IEP planning and providing supports and um, and really guiding families in this way, it's been um, something that I really enjoy.
0: There are many things about you that have impressed me, but something that really jumped out to me quickly um, is is how thoroughly you have responded whenever we've communicated through email. Now, so many of the clients that Autism Personal Coach, we serve struggle with responding to emails so is this something that's just come naturally to you or is it a skill you've learned to develop all over time
1: it's actually probably a little bit of both It's a little bit of an illusion and a little bit of some supports so if you look at my personal email i have hundreds if not hundreds of thousands of unread (laughs) emails a lot of them are spam from giant eagle or or other um other places with uh, coupons and different things Um, But with work, I take my job very seriously. It's it's something that's very important to me. Um, And so I learned pretty early on that my old habits weren't going to help me. Um, And in fact, might hinder hinder my work with families. And nobody likes it when someone doesn't respond for for a really long time. So I actually um, have made a lot of use of, and I've used a bunch of different programs over the time. So like Outlook has a whole bunch of uh, folders that you can use and auto-sorting features and um, that was always really helpful. Switching over to uh, Gmail was was fine because that had a lot of other supports too. I actually um, can have things put in specific folders as they come in so I know priority on which to, which i can respond to them so that's been very helpful i can also sort them um, so that i can always see the unread unread ones first and so even when i um check my email from my cell phone if i'm not on the clock because that was a thing i'm, I'm not supposed to do i'm not supposed to check my email outside of work hours um, otherwise i'd never probably quit working because <laughs> it, it is almost a special interest for me and i think that that part of, I think that can help people with autism be really successful if they get into a, a profession. But I, there's also that work-life balance that we have to strike. Um, but really having those supports helped. And I, I didn't know about them at first. It was really over the years I've had, had supervisors and, and other people guiding me and showing me that I can use all of these features. And sometimes it just takes someone who's particularly tech savvy to show how to, how to do something and it can make your life a whole lot easier. Technology, I think, has been very helpful in my workplace experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, I know in the past you've shared your knowledge and experiences by presenting on important topics in the autism community. One such presentation that you co-presented previously that uh, we're both very passionate about is the double rainbow. Can you share with our listeners what the double rainbow is and why it matters? There are personal
1: reasons why it matters to me, but, and we, we'll talk about that soon, I'm sure. But, but really, as a, uh, as a whole, um, there are a lot of people who are on the autism spectrum, but they're also on the LGBT spectrum. And since the LGBT community uses a, a rainbow flag and a spectrum of light, and it's called the autism spectrum, um, it wasn't me. It was someone more clever than I am who decided that it's two spectrums. Overlapping, and so what better way to represent that than a double rainbow? Mm-hmm. So that's really what it uh, represents, is the people who are both on the autism spectrum and identify as LGBT. And if research is to be believed, which there's a lot of really credible stuff out there, people with autism identify at a much higher rate than uh, neurotypical people, and there are some reasons for that that are not quite clear yet. We're still... I think as a community trying to understand if it's an actual biological difference that may have some connection to autism or if it is a social difference because people with autism are the the pros and cons. People with autism have less uh, time picking up or less easy time picking up certain social cues, but also they may not uh, hide their identity. And and some people um, in the LGBT community do hide their identity um, for safety reasons. So that does have some implications for... Um, for the autism community as a whole, but also for the LGBT community. And we want to try to figure out ways that we can support them and be successful um, and be safe and and really uh, build a community.
0: Now, self-disclosure of autism can be a complicated and very personal experience. However, talking about when someone has to essentially come out twice as having autism and then as being part of the LGBT community...
1: So I think when people think of coming out, it's a one-time thing. People think, oh, you came out of the closet, you're out. For the LGBT side of things, but really it's not. It's a a continuous process, and it's always difficult to navigate, and there are lots of things that I have to consider for that side of things. Also, since I have autism, that's another side of things. Lots of people with autism do disclose, but in some cases they may not. It may not feel... safe to share about it at a workplace, or um, if you're trying to uh, start dating someone or have interactions with someone, someone might not understand what autism is and that might not be a conversation that you're ready to have. So, but it's a continuous process. There have been some situations where I've, I'd say particularly, i found it easier to uh, come out um, as as being on the autism spectrum than uh, being LGBT uh, in that part of that community, but then other times... It might be the opposite, it might be easier to come out in the LGBT as part of the LGBT community and not so much uh, the autism community. And the hard part is figuring out when and and how to go about doing that. That's still a process that I've I've been working through. It's a very individual process. My hope is that by advocating and sharing about the Double Rainbow, more professionals like yourself and me and my colleagues and, and other people can help guide people. Through that that process, because we do talk about disclosing autism at work or disclosing autism in your community, but but you know sometimes there are other factors.
0: Do you see a stigma or discrimination against those that are identify as part of the double rainbow? I do, and
1: it's actually I have some personal experiences that are difficult. I probably won't get into all of those here, but just as a whole, I'd say I, I, I absolutely do. Um, when I first started trying to Date and build friendships and relationships. Many of the people in the LGBT community were not um, comfortable with the idea of autism and sensory issues, at least in the circles that I had reached out to. And so I had some pretty negative responses, even a conversation that was going pretty well online when I mentioned that I couldn't go to a club or something for sensory reasons or things like that. The follow up questions were always, some of them were pretty mean and there were some pretty harsh um, slurs that were used, um, that made me feel like almost giving up, um, on even starting that process. Fortunately, I did, uh, meet people who were understanding of the autism piece. As for the, uh, LGBT piece in the autism community, um, that's a difficult thing too. I know growing up, oftentimes the assumption would be made that my, uh, sexual orientation, gender identity were, um, impacted by my, my autism in a way that was clinically significant. Um, people would, I, I, and I use a lot of technical terms cause, uh, uh, social work and psychology and such are my special interests. So <laughs> um, feel free to help me step back if, if I, um, cause I know perseverations and those types of terms are probably, so, so my, I'll just say my special interest that uh, people would uh, assume that it was my, my, uh, special interest or or maybe there was a social skills deficit that made it easier to interact with boys than it did with girls. And so there was that tendency to try to treat it away. Even so there is a thing um, where uh, people will try to um, convert or cure um, the LGBT identity through various therapies that are um, proven to be very, very harmful and can lead to really high suicide rates. But even people who didn't ascribe to that would still look at my, my sexual orientation and my gender identity through the lens of my autism, which is is helpful in a way because I think that it, it is interconnected, but it, was, it wasn't it was viewed as a legitimate part of my identity. It was viewed as um, a perseveration or a special interest um, or a, um, a misunderstanding or there's kind of this underlying idea I think that is in the disability community that people with autism can't have romantic or sexual feelings or or aren't capable of processing or comprehending that. And I think that cuts across all disability circles, but um, it's something that I have noticed, um, especially growing up when I was working with therapists. Um, I actually did receive the question, do you think that you like boys just because it's easier to talk to them than it is to girls, or, or maybe it's easier to read their social cues? And um, even even then, I was like, I wasn't sure why they were asking me that. It didn't feel, it wasn't a comfortable question. It was almost traumatic though. And I, I often, I think, so I started out going back to the previous question. I apologize. I'm kind of maybe going in a different direction, but I, um, so I came out to my mom at a really, really young age. So when I was about seven or eight, um, I kind of knew that I was, I was a little bit different. I didn't have, like, are you, if you're familiar with Puppy Love, where kids kind of have crushes on other kids. Sure. Um, my crushes were other boys in the classroom. Um, or TV characters, or, you know. And so I didn't think anything of it, and I shared with my mom, and she just, like, whatever, you're eight, it's not an issue. Um happened again when I was maybe 12 or 13, and my mom, and this is almost an exact quote, I can't quite remember her words... He's like, we already had this discussion. It's okay. <laughs> and then after that, it was dropped. It was. It was done. And uh, I think that helped a lot. But actually, I almost learned in reverse. I learned through a lot of bullying and and uh, issues with my peers that other people weren't okay with it. So even though I, I think my autism helped me to come out. I think I, I didn't feel like there was any shame or anything to be concerned about. Um, and I think my autism really helped with that, so that's why I did come out to my mom at such an early age. It wasn't, I didn't feel like it was something that needed to be hit. It wasn't a big deal. Um, and then I, but over the years though, through bullying, through, you know, you almost learn to keep it to yourself. And so where some people are scared to come out at first and then it becomes easier, I think it was actually the opposite for me, um, if that makes
0: sense. And you're, when you had those terrible experiences, you took like a step back?
1: Yeah, and I, um, started to realize that maybe it wasn't safe to disclose uh, or share that Um, but more so when I said that I had autism it almost made things more comfortable in some cases like people would almost understand well this is why he can't have really loud noises or where this is why you know so I think for me it became easier to disclose my autism. When I actually first started um, working at Milestones I did tell Beth um, who oh she actually is my boss, my supervisor. Um she's done a previous podcast with you. Yes, Beth <laughs> um, Thompson. Yeah. Yeah, she's she's actually one of my um, closest mentors. I she's been very helpful for me. And uh so I told her about my autism pretty much right away. And uh, but we didn't she didn't know about my LGBT identity until just casually I let it slip. I was so comfortable I just let it slip over a, a staff lunch that we were having. She asked, "Oh, am I seeing anyone?" And I, I just mentioned, "Oh, I have a have a partner of several years," <laughs> and, and she was like, "What? Wait a minute, come back and how do I not know this?" <laughs> and I uh, just thought uh, that was a piece that I, um, I didn't know because there's there's a lot of discrimination that can happen at work. People can be well, not so much Cuyahoga County and, and all parts of Ohio. It's there are laws protecting people, but um, in other places. Um, it is still legal to fire someone for no other reason than that. And sometimes sometimes I feel because of the supports that I need for my autism, it can be harder um, to come out in settings. Like I didn't let people at my other internships know, I just kind of made it a habit um, because I knew that I needed my autism supports. My autism supports uh, sensory needs, uh, structure, routines, um, were things that I knew that I needed to be successful in employment really now that i've been able to be at work it was almost like the the floodgates were were broken and for a while i probably overshared just because there was that that relief all of this stuff that was on my shoulders could just come out into the open and now i um there aren't many people who are talking about the intersection of autism there's there right. have been some articles talking about why it's important there have been a lot of researchers um, showing their data, but it's not something that i've seen at a lot of conferences so so I'm hopeful that even though my background um, is in early intervention that self advocacy piece and my social work background, I think that um myself and and Beth and other people can really um, help make a change and help build a community mm-hmm.
0: and for for like other professionals or just anyone that really wants to kind of be an ally to those um, that are part of the double rainbow, what suggestions do you have for them? This is
1: something that I've given a lot of thought to. So I, I know that in the autism community, we really emphasize the expression, um, nothing about us without us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good expression to go by. But there's also with the um, LGBT community, I don't know if you know this or not, there's actually a variation of the rainbow flag for allies, which I thought and is, is really helpful I think there's kind of a a combination. Uh, So in the LGBT community, um, heterosexual cisgendered people um, have almost been ambassadors for the community. Part of that's a safety thing because people have uh, been less retaliatory, perhaps less frequently or less severely against um, cisgendered heterosexual people. So it almost was a safety piece. But um, I think more than that, Sometimes our allies have a platform, but, but also it's a matter of, of recognizing, like in the autism community, I think we're starting to come to that realization that, that we really do need to allow people with autism to speak on their own behalf too. So there's kind of that, there are pros and cons to that. So, so I think the ambassadors can help open the door, um, but really let the self-advocates stand on that stage. The other downside though to really having that is there are still marginalized communities I think i 'm um, not sure how familiar you are with LGBT issues um, but uh, so like trans women of color, for example, are um, really uh, face discrimination and, mm-hmm. and oppression and abuse and, mm-hmm. and uh, violence at a disproportionately high rate and um, but their experiences have largely been ignored because I think sometimes the advocates um, want to in a way well-intentioned like normalize or or say we're just like you and i don't know if that's the right message to send because um we are different people who have autism are different people who are lgbt are different but i think the message needs to be being different isn't a bad thing Mm -hmm. um i would say even in my own office I have a lot of neurotypical coworkers, and they all function differently. <laughs> they all have different perspectives, and that's what makes it work, though, is all of these differences coming together. They can think about things from different ways, and, and they can be more effective in helping people mm-hmm. because they have those different backgrounds. And so I, I think the message needs to not be, we're just like
0: you. It needs to be, we're different, and that's a good thing. And we just need to respect those differences. Yes. Now, one of the major challenges I've seen from people that are part of the double rainbow is developing community. So I always say when we don't have community, we feel alone and isolated, and those mental health challenges for all of us um, increase greatly. So what challenges have you seen in developing community for those that are part of the double rainbow?
1: So that's actually something that I've experienced firsthand. I don't have any good solutions, but I have experience with it. I know that most of the LGBT spaces that I've I've been to haven't been particularly sensory friendly. Mm-hmm. And sensory friendly can be a hard thing to do, just in the sense that everybody's sensory stuff is it's, different. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I mean, there are some basic steps that might help having a dedicated quiet space. Um, addressing lighting, having dimmers if that's mm-hmm. at all an option, but also planning events where it's not loud music, flashing lights. That tends to happen um, a lot in a lot of the spaces, and, and that can be can be difficult. I, I'd say when you have, um, I, I'd say a lot of programs for LGBT people do tend to be really underfunded, um, and I think that's a big contributing factor. They they the the groups and such that do exist make do with what they have. Um, But sometimes that makes it difficult for like wheelchair access or or sensory needs. And and so I think people with disabilities, autism or not, can sometimes feel inadvertently excluded. I think also um, the disability community doesn't always acknowledge or embrace or accept LGBT identity. Um, That's been a a big thing that I've noticed. even growing up, well, even today, if I try to search LGBT social stories for people with autism, if they exist, they're very, very hard to find because <laughs> I have looked. A so, lot of research. Um, a lot of research that goes a about. lot of time uh, looking for those. I think also, um, even just the space, though, is it's kind of assumed, I think we have this tendency to assume that people with autism will never date, so why does their orientation even matter? And I think that um, because orientation is a is a part of who we are, it's our attraction, it's whether we can can vocalize or, or verbalize our um our experiences, you know, it it can matter. And then also if we're trying to prepare someone, you know, for a life um which includes romantic partners and employment, um, it is something that we absolutely do have to address. Um I think, uh, so people with autism, I think are just, there are a lot of assumptions. I think sometimes people make assumptions that that people with autism won't be capable because that's what the research has, some of the research has said. People with autism don't get married. People with autism don't date. People with autism may struggle with employment, be unemployed, be underemployed. But if we're, going in with the attitude that people aren't going to need that support or then we don't create it. And then I think we just create this vicious cycle where where the needs aren't being met and where we're not preparing people
0: to to be able to have those experiences. Um, That's just my personal opinion. You um, will be... uh co-presenting on, on this very topic, uh, the double rainbow at the Milestones National Autism Conference here in Cleveland in June. So if people want to hear more about this and from you, um, how can those that want to attend register for the conference? And are you speaking on the first or the second day? I'm actually speaking on both
1: days oh, okay. about a couple different issues. So, And I can't recall which one's which. I'll have to <laughs> check my schedule again. So I will be presenting on sensory issues with two other self-advocates who I've presented with before and we're really excited about. Um we're gonna be changing it up a bit, adding some different experiences, and but we're also gonna be doing um so this will be the the first time I think the milestones conference has had a like a double rainbow session. So I am like a a trailblazer, I guess <laughs> is the is maybe the term. Um but I'm actually doing that alongside my my supervisor uh, Beth. We She's been, she actually did the original presentation with me that we did at uh, OcaliCon, and it was was really well-received. It was um, quite a bit shorter there. We did a 15-minute a monologue, and this will be our full one-hour session, and um, we're really trying to use it as a opportunity to lay the foundation for the discussion to take place, um, so there will be some personal experiences shared, but there will also be some Foundational knowledge that will be shared, as well as some uh, in-depth information too. For we want to make sure that we can kind of address wherever
0: everyone is. What What was the feedback from the from your presentation at OcalaCon?
1: Every people were pretty responsive to it. Even some of the audience members in that moment, uh, like right after, like during the question and answer piece, during the um, like after we were pulled aside to answer some questions. Um, parents are really responding to it. There were, um, there was a, a parent of a trans, uh, gender child, um, seven or eight years old, um, and she said it was difficult to find resources and services that were supporting that, um, and, uh, were not viewing it as, as poor parenting or, or something fundamentally flawed with the child, and, and I think that that's an attitude that the LGBT community still experiences, um but I think it's even harder when there are disability needs and there is a, a need for other services outside of just school, then these parents have to advocate for finding uh, inclusive therapy providers, inclusive, you know, transportation, everything that they might need for that child growing up. Um, but, the, but the response was really positive. Lots of people were even asking for more inclusive sex education in their schools mm-hmm. or sex education, period. Beyond that, though, so sex education is just a piece that really addresses the the safety, the the physical contact piece, but I think also there have been a lot of schools, not so much, I'm not sure of any instances where it's been added in the special education curriculum, but inclusive curriculums where it's talking about people who are LGBT are humans too and it's okay to accept them. Um, where it doesn't talk about the sexual side of things, it just talks about accept people as people. Right. Um, so, but but many of the parents were wanting stuff like that, and I I there may be some pushback, but but there's also a lot of support, um, and I think that um, this is a is a community where you have self advocates driving this discussion. A lot of the people who are talking about the double rainbow right now aren't service providers. Mm -hmm. They are the people with autism saying, this is our experience. We're asking you guys for help and you guys for 20 years. I'm saying you guys (laughs) in the sense that, like I'm not, I'm not meaning like you specifically, (laughs) but, but, but people aren't offering the support. You know, it would have been, I can't help, but wonder how different my experiences might have been. Um, if someone explained, the gay community's dating dynamics, which are actually a lot more egalitarian. <laughs> we split the checks. We back and forth on the checks for food. But all these dynamics that are, um, you know, I think are taken for granted. Even just the social skills can be different. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also trying to figure out when it's safe to disclose. Because if you disclose your LGBT identity in the wrong place, you could be the victim of violence in a, yeah. in a way that... You know, people who are on the autism spectrum do experience violence and abuse, but but it's not what I've seen, not specifically targeted, um, like almost just trying to erase your existence almost.
0: Getting back to, like, disclosing and making sure it's in a safe environment or a safe person, how much of the challenges of autism make it difficult to uh, to determine that? So
1: that is something that I still struggle with. It it's, can be very difficult to tell if it's safe to disclose, where there might be instances where a person generally has been very positive towards me, um, and so I feel like it's okay to even just casually mention my partner. His name's James, by the way. That's a, a shout-out to you. He's out of town right now, so hopefully you're having a, a nice trip. But um, I, um, even if I casually mention stuff, it's... Um, you know, it, it, there, there can be negative responses, and there have been. There have been places where, instances where people have just said, um, like, I remember when I was a teenager, there was a, a girl who I was talking to, and we were playing trading cards with each other, and she had mentioned that she liked a celebrity, and I had mentioned that I liked them too. And then essentially the response, our whole card game match, turned out like we were done with that, we were, and, and she said, I can't talk to you anymore. Um, and that was, well. that wasn't something that I, um, had to experience physical harm for, it was, it was certainly telling me that it wasn't okay to, to, to talk about something that I <laughs> thought was, thought was fine. Um, and, and there are those casual interactions where there can be a double standard, so that makes it even harder to tell, because people will talk about, uh, trips that they had to Disneyland with their romantic partners, or they'll have pictures of their family on their desk. Um. And so, in some places, it might seem like it's okay to talk about it, but then it's only okay if you're heterosexual or cisgendered, and then, um, other than that, uh, it's not. So... Neurotypical people can be really confusing. And I actually have a whole slide dedicated to social skills that neurotypicals need to develop for my double rainbow presentation because we people uh, on the double rainbow gets asked some pretty peculiar questions that people probably wouldn't ask others. But um, I'd say I, I tend to look for, for cues. I tend to see. So a lot of people will have um, human rights campaign stickers on their cars. Those mm-hmm. are the, the equal signs. <laughs> um, or there may be uh, a rainbow in the office space, um, sometimes there's just a sticker that says this is a safe space, and that's an almost, uh, that's a nice verbal cue that it's maybe a safer place. Maybe. I mean, sometimes, yeah. sometimes, uh, people will have the, sometimes it almost feels like a bit of a, I don't know if this is the right term, but like a bait and switch. <laughs> um, but i'd say more often than not i think if people are are having those those stickers it's a it's a good cue mm-hmm. um also if they um are speaking positively about people who are lgbt something else i've learned and this wasn't an experience i so much had but i learned from uh, another self advocate who i had met with that sometimes people are accepting of um their kids being or other people's kids being lgbt but not their own kids. So like if it's their own kids, then there are implications about grandkids and and carrying on the family name and and there are lots of of other things. So that's sometimes that's not always a good cue. Maybe people are okay with LGBT people if um, if they're not connected closely, which almost seems like it would be the opposite. It almost seems like, well, you're my kid, I'll love you no matter what. Rather, it's, it's, they're not my kids, so whatever they do is fine. But, um, so that sometimes I think it can be hard to read the messages that mm-hmm. neurotypical people put out there. But ultimately, I've always chosen to err on the side of caution. I think there are people who are more courageous than I am in the sense that um, they do come out pretty much everywhere. Um, and that's something that I, I wish I had that level of bravery sometimes. Um, just because I had some pretty negative experience that had happened to me um, because I was both on the autism spectrum and LGBT. So, so it's a tough subject. I, I almost learned to err on the side of caution. And, um, but that's not the message I want people to have. I want people to, um, to find their support, find their allies, and, and, and be okay. And that's actually one of the reasons why I am taking this step and why I have been taking this step um, my hope is that through these conference sessions that I've been doing, other people can well first of all identify that there's a need to talk about it, um, and then also people with autism who are on the double rainbow can um, can feel comfortable sharing. And even if even if they don't know if they can share to other people, at least they'll know that they can talk to me and Beth, and um, and we might be able to connect them with other people who might be able to as well. So.
0: Um,
1: that's my hope. But um, you had also mentioned our conference coming up, and I know I kind of got off topic. I do that sometimes. But the um, the conference, I think, is going to be really exciting. Um, we really do want people with autism to attend, as well as service providers and parents who are interested in this topic to attend, um, as well as a lot of our other topics. So I don't want <laughs> just come to my session. you know. I, I don't think the other speakers would. There you know. are
0: a lot of great sessions across the board. There are
1: a lot of great sessions. Um, but we are, um, I'm particularly proud of this session. It's, it's been a lot of work. I put a lot of effort into the PowerPoint and rehearsing and share. And I, I want to be, um, very thorough so that people feel like they're walking away from it with a good understanding. Um, but we have, um, so we do actually have reduced rates for parents and people with autism so that they can attend. Hopefully that helps, but sometimes, you know, a little bit more support is needed to help cover the cost of a conference. Um, so we also have volunteer opportunities um, so people can work a day and then and have, then have a whole day of sessions. Um, but uh, we try to make it, we don't want anyone to be deprived of information. So we have Milestones just want to have
0: lots of supports available. And, and people can find out about that by going to milestones.org? Yes,
1: yes. Okay. Um, And then there should be a big banner on the top of the page talking about the conference. Um, And then if you click on that, then click on register. um, There's some discussions about, there's some information about the um, opportunities that are available. It's also a good opportunity to get CEUs. There's a Kent State grad credit if you're a graduate student, Um, we offer um, because we're really trying to get medical professionals trained in just autism as a whole we really want them to feel prepared as they're entering into the, the workforce and, and working with families with autism so we offer um, rate different rates for medical students and, and we, we really try to make it as ac- accommodating and as accepting as possible. Um, we also have sensory rooms and lunches and dinners or lunches and breakfast not dinners um, and parking and, and so we try to make it try to make it pretty
0: Well, Nathan, it was a pleasure, as always. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me.
2: Sometimes we wish we were normal. We hope you understand. Fear we can't improve Everyone around
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode and thank you so much to Nathan for the conversation. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach saves people with autism from feeling alone and being isolated? So often teens and adults with autism struggle with anxiety and as a result don't have success in their lives. Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help those with autism by working on meaningful individualized goals in the setting in which they'll be used so Anxiety is greatly reduced, and as a result, they can become more independent and successful. To get an autism coach for a loved one or yourself, it's very easy. All you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Haley Dunn about the upcoming National Autism Conference presented by Milestones Autism resources. Talk to you then.